the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Monday, September 27th, 2021. Hope you had a great weekend. There's a lot to do today. It's already a busy weekend. It's because of stuff that transpired stuff. It's because of events and reporting that transpired over the weekend, mostly yesterday. I know a lot of people like to think of Sunday as the day off, and it can be. I think, too, there's an increased effort to release news or unhappy news or unwelcome news, not just Friday afternoons now, but all over the weekend, because that's when people read it the the least or watch it the least. It's family time, and it's sometimes recreational time or vacation time or catch-up time or repair time. (laughs) It's not usually news time over the weekends, but um, there is a lot, and we've got to catch up on it. First of all, I'm not asking you what you believe, but was the sense of the last three days before the weekend was not the sense you had that the Del Rio Haitian Haitian illegal immigrant situation was almost over, almost cleared out because those Haitians had been deported either to their country of origin or the country they came from originally? Was that not your sense? Well, we learned over the weekend, it's an interesting thing, these numbers, 12,000 Haitian migrants, immigrants, illegal immigrants, 12,000 of them have been generally generally released into the U.S. population, 12,400, according to Secretary Mayorkas. Um, That being said, they have been released with the understanding that they will show up for their asylum hearings. Now, the Justice Department alone here, this one itself, presumes that 50% won't show up. 50% won't show up. How in any way is this a fixing of the situation? I almost have to tell you that I think it might have been better when they were all where we knew and were contained and were in a community of sorts rather than in 50 communities or 100 communities or 150 communities. This administration takes things and goes from bad to worse. Now, when Mayorkas revealed this yesterday, it was with Fox uh, News Sunday morning with Chris Wallace. And Chris Wallace asked him a pretty good question. Why didn't you stop them from coming in in the first place? Why didn't you stop them from coming in in the first place? Now, a lot of us will remember... I thought we were trying to stop them coming in in the first place using whatever tools and methods we had, including cavalry, 
But the media didn't like that, so the administration caved. And we were told Haitians were black people too by Ayanna Presley. So the administration went racial against borders, border and customs patrol. So Wallace says, well, why didn't you erect a wall or a fence? Quote, Mayorkas said, it is the policy of this administration. We do not agree with the building of the wall. Close quote. Okay. Okay. You don't agree with it. It's an effective policy. You are broadcasting that you do not want an effective policy at the border, and you have just made things go from bad to worse. Now, mind you, mind you, this is hardly the biggest part of it, but as long as the administration wants to make a big part of the issue of vaccination, COVID, and testing, the vast majority here were not tested. We're not tested. They don't test them. They test on the company minors. They test those they detain. But close to 9,000 of these were not tested, of these illegal immigrants were not tested. Now, how do you take a federal government seriously that wants to treat illegal immigrants with a softer glove than it wants to treat its own citizens, its own fellow Americans? How do you take that seriously? How do you take anything about this administration seriously? Now, this isn't where I was going to start. You know, you read the newspaper. William Buckley was once asked how is it he could uh, produce so many columns in a given week, and he said something along the lines of, well, I just read the New York Times every day and get ticked off about 15 times. Ticked off. I was, um, I was reading the Arizona Republic on Sunday only to discover – It forgot what it was. It forgot that it's a newspaper with an op-ed page. Now it's just an op-ed page. Their entire front page was an op-ed, admittedly so. They admitted to it. They just thought the Times demanded it. Their entire front page was an op-ed against Doug Ducey, primarily because of his COVID policies, primarily because of his COVID policies. And, you know, they start with going all the way back to George Washington and smallpox. And then they bring it to here. And they said something interesting in this op-ed. That's why it's worth reading everything you can, I suppose, or that comes your way, whether it's on your side or not, or whether it's something you agree with or not. They snuck something in here even I had not seen. And I say even I because it's a weird place to learn of this for the first time. Maybe you had seen it. Maybe you knew of it. I had not. But on Friday, evidently, the CDC, the CDC, the national (laughs) federal government, the CDC released a study. Here's what it says in the op-ed on the front page of the Arizona Republic. The CDC released a study on Friday that found schools in Maricopa and Pima counties that began the school year with a mask requirement were three and a half times less likely to experience a COVID-19 outbreak break than those with one. In short, the CDC released a study on Friday that schools in Maricopa County and Pima showed that where there's masking, there's less COVID spread. What? Really? Wow. Sounds like an interesting study. I had not heard of it. It had only come out Friday. A CDC study on Maricopa County and Pima schools having to do with masking? Oh, you bet I'm interested. So I went and checked it out. Well, (laughs) 
to call it a study would be an insult to the word study. First of all, this entire CDC memorandum is about, or whatever you want to call it, is exactly 774 words. Okay? That's about a fourth of a typical monologue I give in the first segment. And it's less than what George Will writes in an average weekly column. 774 words. Okay. Never mind the brevity of it. Sometimes brevity, brevity is appreciated. Never mind the brevity of it. Never mind that. How about the fact that there is this sentence describing the study, study in the CDC report? Quote, a school-associated outbreak was defined as the occurrence of two or more laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 cases among students or staff members at the school within a 14-day period and at least seven calendar days after school started. Did you catch that little leisure domain in there? Did you catch it? A school-associated outbreak was defined as the occurrence of two or more laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 cases among students or staff members. Or staff members! Or staff members. So we now have a study about schools and masks that is supposedly definitive, showing masking works in Pima and Maricopa County that doesn't distinguish between students and adults. That's problem one. Problem two, the COVID outbreak in these schools of students and adults goes from 0.03 to 0.01 percent with the masks in schools that they studied. So the chances of an outbreak in a school, according to the study, go from three one hundredths of a uh, from one one hundredths of a percent to three one hundredths of a percent. If there's no masking. If there's no masking, that's not enough of a problem with the study. I'll tell you how bad this study is. We have no idea. None. The study itself says because they didn't ask. We have no idea who's vaccinated and who's not amongst either the adults or children. We don't know that. We don't know whether the covid came from adults bringing it in or if it came from kids bringing it in. We don't know that. There are so many variables in this paper It doesn't mention the rate of testing. It doesn't include asymptomatic testing. It does not examine the rate of a teacher's being vaccinated. It doesn't report on the rate of students vaccinated. It doesn't report the type of masks being used. That's an important one. doesn't even mention the kind of masks being used or compliance. Just talking about policy. This is a study that isn't worth the paper it's written on, making a conclusion that too many will read as a drive-by and take seriously. I have more of this when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I want to stay on this theme. Can we leave the children alone? You hear me asking that question a lot. Notice how they are now becoming the test tube babies of everything we're trying to figure out, wrap our heads around, or enforce with regard to COVID. We are weaponizing children against society. First, with that stupid study used in a 
It's not even a study. First, with that stupid op-ed that was considered a study used by the Arizona Republic on a front page about children, adults, and masking policies, we have no concept of of, combi- of, uh, of compliance with these masking regulations. We have no idea what kind of masks. We have no idea the vaccine status of the children or the adults. And it's about children and adults. And we have no idea of the etiology of the COVID infection in any of these schools in the first place. Was it brought in by an adult or was it brought in by a kid? Now, one time is a one-off. Two times is hmm, or a coincidence. Three times is a practice and pattern. We got another study over the weekend about children's fears, concerns, and anxiety rising because of the because of the fear of getting COVID. The fear of getting COVID. How about the studies on their depression and anxiety and other mental health issues because of the fear we have instantiated in their world through mitigation strategies and making them concerned that they're going to get it and have a terrible consequence when they aren't. How about that? No, we can't talk about that. So ABC 15 comes along, Channel, uh, Channel 15 here in Arizona, the ABC television affiliate here in the local area, in the Phoenix, greater Phoenix area. With a headline story, Why Masks Worked for Phoenix Classroom in Stopping COVID-19 Outbreak. Why Masks Worked for Phoenix Classroom in Stopping COVID-19 Outbreak. Now, it mentions a mom here, and I don't know her, and I have no brief against her. I think she's really more of a victim of this story than anything else, so I'm just going to change her name. They describe her as a, quote, working mom from North Central Phoenix, a working mom from North Central Phoenix. Let's give her the name Alice Spivak. That's a TV-based show, Alice the Waitress, right? Working mom, Alice. Let's just call her that for now. They mentioned her name. I just, I don't know her, and I don't want to blame her. I don't think this is her fault. It's the media's fault, what they've done here. Let me give you the story, ABC 15. They didn't have to wear a mask at school, but they wanted to, and now a third-grade class at Simis Elementary or Simis Elementary School is getting credit for stopping the spread of COVID-19. What did the school do? They can stop COVID-19. Alice Spivak is a working mom from North Central Phoenix. Her daughter is in the classroom choosing to mask up together this year. She tells ABC's 15 Morning anchor Kelly O'Kelly, I think there's a deep need to want to protect each other and their teacher. So when a classmate who was also wearing a mask unknowingly showed up at school with COVID-19, their collective classroom choice to mask up stopped an outbreak. Okay. So a kid shows up with covid and the rest of the class masks up, and they stopped COVID. I don't know how you can conclude that, but the mom says a lot of kids are asymptomatic. But guess what? The kids still wore a mask and pre- prevented all those other kids from getting sick. Okay, so if the kid wore a mask and prevented all those others from getting sick, can you explain to me why he had to go into a 14-day quarantine, which is also part of the story? Why did that kid have to go into quarantine? 
A lot of kids are asymptomatic, but guess what, the mom says. The kids still wore a mask and prevented all these other kids from getting sick. That's not the worst part of the story or the stupidest part. None of the other students who were exposed to him had to had to um, quarantine. So the news anchor at ABC 15, O'Kelly, she talks with the superintendent of Madison School, who says, quote, I think we are having, excuse me, I think as we are having positive cases and needing to quarantine, families are also becoming aware that if the person who tested positive is consistently and correctly wearing a mask, any student that's around him or her that is consistently and correctly wearing a mask will not have to quarantine, except the student who tested positive. Why? Why? Which is exactly what happened in this classroom. Still not the worst part of the story. Ready for the worst part? It's the last line. I'm going to read it directly. Directly. Proof, Alice Spivak says, that wearing a mask at school can help stop the spread of COVID-19 and keep parents going strong at work. Proof, Alice Spivak says, that wearing a mask at school can help stop the spread of COVID-19 and keep parents going strong at work. Proof. Proof. Quoting by the first paragraph of the story, a working mom from North Central Phoenix. Proof. Now, lest I be misunderstood, I love moms. I love motherhood. I love working moms. I love working motherhood. I'm not taking epidemiological advice from them. I'm not taking medical advice from them. Unless the working mom happens to be an epidemiologist or a public health policy expert or a political public health uh, uh, public science expert, political science expert. I'm just I, why does ABC 15 think anecdote is science? Clearly, they had access to serious scholars in this area and serious researchers. But if we're now just going to go around quoting and citing working moms from North Central Phoenix. Well, I don't know. I think, Bill, go by my memory, especially with the Brophy situation, didn't, haven't I had like five working moms on this show in the last three weeks already available to the media and in the media? They disagree with this working mom. How do you follow that science? Well, ABC 15, Arizona Republic, what you're peddling isn't science. What you're peddling isn't epidemiology. What you're peddling is an opinion, and it's based on political science. The only problem with your political science is even that is bad. Because political science is supposed to discern the critical from the frivolous. It is, to, it is supposed to discern the right from the wrong and the accurate from the inaccurate. Or, to quote Winston Churchill, to see things as they truly are. Silly me for thinking I might get that in the medium. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 after the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski. He is the president and co-founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com, his website for all your retirement needs. And his radio show is The Word on Wealth, heard right here every 7 a.m. every Saturday morning. John Dombrowski, how are you, sir? Great. Thank you so much for that introduction. Well, of course. Well, well, well earned and deserved. I could go on and on about you. You are a um, hugely important force in this community, and we appreciate it and you so very, very much. Talk to me. It may not end up being the most sexy of congressional uh, testimonies, um, but it looks like the federal, um, uh, cha- the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, is going to testify to Congress uh, and he's going to talk about inflation, and it looks like he's warning people it could last a little longer than originally thought. Yeah, so remember, if we go back, we talked about this over and over again with the Fed and the role that they play in monetary policy and trying to um, gauge the economy so that it doesn't overheat or that it doesn't underperform. And the way they do that is is by creating liquidity to the markets uh, and allowing businesses to have funds to grow and such. But what we're seeing here is, is, and this is, I'm trying to understand why we're seeing this runaway inflation, as many people think we're seeing right now. And it is definitely a hotter inflationary period of time than I think the Fed thought. And I think part of that is also, Seth, has to do, obviously, with some of the uh, policies that the administration is, is putting into place or trying to put into place. Uh, but Think about this. This is a mandated testimony that Fed Chair Powell has to give to Congress, and it's regarding the Fed's response specifically to COVID-19. That's what this meeting is going to be about. And they respond based on what they're seeing, the policies, and what's happening in the economy. Just think about what would have happened if we didn't have all the shutdowns that we had uh, back in 2020, and even continuing Uh, to see all of the mandates that are happening now to create challenges for businesses to be able to really get back into the full swing of reopening when they can't find employees. This is a real challenge. So what we're seeing is, is there's a demand out there. Obviously, people want things, but they can't get them because businesses do not have the workforce to actually provide the services or the goods that are being uh, required and demanded. Let me ask you this, John. Everything being said about everything right now <laughs> has, mm-hmm. has the economy, people in your position, people who deal with other things having to do with uh, money management, everything right now seems like it's – I don't want to say hanging by a thread because it, it sounds like the institutions are weak when they're not – but it does seem like everything needs to be not only stated carefully, but understood and appreciated carefully. Because it, I got to tell you, if we assume money is a coward, which is our our default, we seem we 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 have a we have a lot of things to be afraid of if just the wrong thing is interpreted by someone like Chairman Powell, don't we? Yes, there's no question. It seems like we're at a tipping point. We've been talking about for many years. Um, but, you know, because on the other side of this, too, right, we've got the uh, the budget that needs to, or the debt ceiling that needs to be dealt with, too. Uh, so there are so many things that are happening right now. I would say this is that it's it seems that in, in the past, 
things seem to eventually work out. It seems like Congress will eventually do something that needs to be done. But obviously politics uh, is, is coming into play. And we're seeing, uh, you know, both sides that are sticking to their guns. And uh, do I believe that we need to deal with this debt before we probably need to spend another five or six trillion dollars? Yeah, I think we should probably deal with that. That's well, that's what I was going to ask you. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but the, but let me take it a second point. Isn't the spending, and I think we're looking at about six trillion now, aren't we? A little plus when you combine infrastructure with regular budget yes, stuff. Yeah. Um, isn't that enormity of spending, and that's the use of the word rightly, I think, that enormity of spending contributory towards inflation? Of course. Yeah. But, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is the debt ceiling that we have, the challenge we have facing us right now, if, if the government has never not paid its debt. Right. And if they don't get that taken care of, it's, it's possible that this government could default on their debt. Now, would that be just for a short period of time? Most likely. But for this even to happen, even the, the possibility of this happening, it just has never happened before. We, I'm with that you. would, I think, be bigger than anything right now. Thank you, they, John. They can't let that happen. Thank you. Securities and advisory services are with the Client One Securities LLC, a member of Fender and Pacific, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. You know that I'm an optimist, though. We'll I know you are, and that's why I keep you around. You're an optimist, you're an expert, and you're a sincere and serious, committed person, and we love you. Thank you, sir. You're a lot of good things. And, okay. as, and as Muhammad Ali said... I don't know if it's good, but if it is, I'm that. You're that, John. Love you. Huh. Love you, too. Bye. People come for the talk here and stay for the music. That's usually what happens. We, Bill, how often do we update our music? I mean, we have a great library, but we probably we add two or three bumpers a week, don't we? We, we added, added some over the weekend. want to talk to you about an interesting local story with national implications over at ASU. But first, let's go to Rick in Phoenix. Rick, uh, happy Monday. How are you? Thank you, Seth, and happy Monday to you. I'm just doing great. Hey, I'm going to kiss this. Uh, that is, keep it short and simple. Oh, I hadn't heard that before. You hadn't? No. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm okay. going to kiss it. <laughs> I heard George Will once give a commencement address, and he said, I won't keep you long. Commencement addresses should share the merit of prom dresses. The shorter, the better. That was George Will. I'm just quoting George Will. Man of letters. Now, that's kind of amazing. Pulitzer Prize winner. It's not from me. I I didn't say it. I'm just quoting. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Anyway... um, I don't even approve of it, to be honest. (laughs) I don't even know how to do short commencement addresses. I don't even agree with his statement. There you go. You know the old story of Daniel Moynihan before he was a senator and a U.N. ambassador? Uh He he worked for Richard Nixon as his domestic policy advisor. I know he's a Democrat, but he worked for Nixon. Okay. And he was writing Nixon a a memo on on welfare, and he started by by writing, I don't have time to write you a short memo, so I'm writing you a long one. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't even believe in what George Will said. I'm quoting it to denounce it. Okay, that's one of the reasons I love talking. It's really important that my critics understand. I'm quoting him to shoot him down on this point. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. Something good and something worthwhile. I love that. I'm going to use that sometime. Uh, So what I was calling about was your monologue, which was uh, terrific, and I appreciate you highlighting the things that you did in it. And one of the things you were asking, I think uh, one of the things that you asked was, uh, when did uh, Channel 
whatever it was, whatever the channel was reporting, when did they uh, begin to accept anecdotes for science? And uh, it reminded me of a quote from Ken Blackwell that I came across a while back. And I'll, like I say, I'll kiss this. I'll keep it short and simple. That's fine. Ken Blackwell, hell of a guy. Uh, I haven't heard his name in a while. It was brought up maybe by you last week. But uh-huh. I, uh, for those that don't know, he was a very well-known Secretary of State in the state of Ohio. Yes. And did yes. he get into higher – he ran for higher office. I don't he know ran, if he ever achieved Yeah, it. he ran for Governor uh, or Senator the or uh, – uh, Mayor. Oh, he ran dude. for mayor okay. of Cincinnati. Okay. No, wait a minute. He served as the mayor of Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from seventy nine to eighty, uh, and then uh, state treasurer from ninety four to ninety nine. <laughs> excuse me. He was the first African American to be a major party candidate for governor. Ah, uh, gotcha. Of Ohio. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was getting my ohio anyway great guy go ahead yeah yeah well this is this fits right in with what you were talking about and he said truth has long since been replaced by narratives on the american left rather than discuss genuine issues and objective facts progressive progressives prefer to make up a politically effective story it doesn't matter whether the story is false as long as it sways the public emotions and wins the day. Mm-hmm. The end justifies the means. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's part of where that whole thing is coming from. <coughs> this whole business about uh, masking and all of that. You, you know, using children. I mean, it tugs at the heartstrings, obviously. I get the strategy. Right. I think yeah. it's abhorrent. Using children. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that it was run on the front page of the repugnant uh, is indicative of where a lot of these people are coming from. Yep. They are determined that they're right about this, and whatever they have to do to prove they're right, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, but whatever they have to do to prove they're right, they're going to go with that. Well, I think you're right about – you're correct about that, Rick, and then you're, there's there's another implication here. And it's one about self-knowledge, which I think is so incredibly important for anyone, whether they're in industry, journalism, uh, business of any kind, education, communication, you name it, politics. I think self-knowledge is so important. And what does it say about a newspaper or a a major player in the mainstream media Uh that thinks that the public critique and image of it is so secure and trusting that they can just run an op-ed on the front page. Yeah. And it yeah. won't encrust the notion that there is no distinction between the op-ed and the front page or any other part of the paper. Yeah. They have now yeah. it completely obliterated any dividing line between op-ed and news by putting an op-ed on the front page. Right, right. How and little do they have to know about the world in which they operate to think that was a good idea? Right. Well, the, the, the you know what I've come to conclude. I, I'm interrupting you with rhetorical no, no, questions. Ahead. I'll go let ahead. you answer all of them. <laughs> but you know what I'm willing to conclude is they know and they don't care. 
They yes, know and I they agree. don't care. They are happy to be the communications arm of the progressive movement in America. And if it costs them 100,000 subscribers over two years and another 100,000 subscribers in another two years, it doesn't matter. They have a bigger mission. Let the paper be a lost leader for the major corporation that owns them. The bigger mission is press releases from the left. Yes. Yes. If I drop the phone, it's because I'm shaking my head furiously. I understand. I'll let you. I'll, 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 I'll warn you that I may jump, drop the phone now as I let you speak. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, the thing I was going to say is that what is scary, what is scary about this is that, like you say, I think they know and they don't care because there is a certain percentage that whatever they say, I was talking to a guy in our congregation a couple of weeks ago about this very thing, about how many people died from COVID in the United States. He said, oh, it's, it's well over a million people. I said, no, no, I think it's closer to 650, which it was at the time. He said, no, no, I, I heard it on the news or I heard it somewhere. And I was like, oh, man, you know, how about checking the facts here? But we they know that there are certain people that were – We'll take whatever they say and run with it. And then there's others like you and myself and, and others who, who know they're lying about it, and that's what we, what we expect to happen. But here's the question I have for you, uh, Seth. How much of this is related to uh, another quote that you gave a couple of weeks ago, that there are so many children in adult bodies yeah. today? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you have that quote handy by chance? I don't. I this don't. Uh, this comes from uh, Heather Hang in her new book, her and Brad Weinstein's new book, right? Yeah, um, that's correct. Uh-huh. Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the Twenty First Century. Right, righto. It's a fine needle to thread, giving children enough space to make their own decisions and mistakes, and protecting them from real danger. Our societal pendulum has swung too far to one side to protecting children against all risk and harm, such that many who come of age under this paradigm feel that everything is a threat, that they need safe spaces, that words can be violent. By comparison, children with exposure to diverse experiences, physical, psychological, and intellectual, learn what is possible and become more expansive human beings. It is imperative that children experience discomfort in each of these realms, physical, psychological, and intellectual, because absent that, they end up full-grown but confused about what harm actually is. They end up children in the bodies of adults. For the progressives to win, it's going to take an awful lot of unlearning. Unlearning, as Plato put it, the things we used to know. It's going to take an awful lot of unlearning. And this goes partic- is particularly true in the realm of what I've been talking about vis-a-vis weaponizing children or using children for political and cultural change, for political and cultural weaponization. There's really only one or two at the most sociologists I think are worth their salt and have done good work. 
One of them has passed away. His name was Neil Postman. He's at New York University for many years. A lot of books, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Technopoly. Um, but the one I like the most is The Dis- Disappearance of Childhood. Because understand when we're talking about changing children, harming children, hurt, hurting children, or for that matter, enabling, ennobling, and helping them, this is all in the purview and by dint of the work of adults, isn't it? I mean, I understand in ancient Egypt you had boy kings, but for the most part now, children are subject to the decisions, thoughts, actions, behaviors, cultures, virtues, and virtue deficits of adults. Neil Postman, in an update to his book, put this very well. Children themselves are a force in preserving childhood. Not a political force, certainly, but a kind of moral force. In these matters, perhaps we can call them even a moral majority. Children, it would seem, not only know there is value in being different from adults, but care that a distinction be made. They know, perhaps better than adults, that something terribly important is lost if that distinction is blurred. American culture, Neil Postman concludes, is hostile to the idea of childhood. But it is a comforting, even exhilarating thought that children are not. Folks, when we come back, a good friend is going to join me in studio. We're going to have an open line hour about how all of this came to be. All of it. By all of it, I don't just mean weaponizing of children. I don't just mean the COVID mandates. I mean the giving up of constitutionality and thinking absurdity should be the new order of the day. Stay tuned. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. Salem 